Who doesn't like a great cookie? I sure do. But then again, there are lots of cookies out there, from the do-it-yourself option to the packaged mass-market brands. How could a small family business find its way in such a crowded, commoditized market? Well, today, we'll talk with an entrepreneur who quite literally has taken traditional family recipes and turned them into a thriving cookie business selling directly to consumers. Much of his success is due to the practical power of storytelling. It's Chris Duke, founder of Anna's Gourmet Goodies, on the Manager Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. Here each week, we discuss three foundational components for growing your business. First, your message meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want to share. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, the management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. We know it's a lot easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. We also hear lots of stories about entrepreneurs who left the typical rat race, got out of corporate life, followed their passion, and made a new professional life for themselves. It's a great storyline, and in many cases true, but we probably hear about the successes and not so much from those who didn't quite make it. And we might hear some rather sugar-coated versions of those successes, leaving out the bitter parts when things weren't working so well. Our guest today is one of those who has made it, and who along the way has shared his story, as well as a lot of stories about his customers, family, and community. It's also authentic and compelling that I included it in my upcoming book, The Science of Customer Connection, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You won't find Chris Duke giving big stage motivational speeches or selling you some course in entrepreneurial success, but he would be pleased if you tried his cookies. And I believe you will learn from and be inspired by his business stories. I met Chris a few years back. Chris was one of my classmates at the Fuqua School of Business. He grew up in Kentucky around lots of aunts, uncles, and cousins for whom cooking was part of the family tradition. During the 1930s, widowed and in need of extra money to support a family of nine children, Chris's grandmother, Lorena, began to make pies and cakes in her home for sale to local restaurants. Lorena passed those skills on to her nine children, including Chris's mother, Anna Duke. Chris did not set out to be a baker himself, But after a career that included sales for a pharmaceutical company, consulting for several global technology companies, and several years as a director for one of the companies surviving the dot-com boom and bust, Chris and his wife Debbie were ready for a change. They gathered traditional recipes, added a few twists, and started Anna's Gourmet Goodies, named for their daughter. After a couple of years growing the business on the side, they launched a full-time venture in 2003. Now, that's a neat story all by itself. However, Chris came to recognize the larger power of storytelling to build the new family business. He and Debbie had begun with a model similar to his grandmother's, baking and selling wholesale desserts for restaurants. But they were called to a more personalized experience with customers. 
they began to experiment with gift boxes of cookies, which did not require refrigeration, and they could be packaged for a more tailored customer experience. They did demos for local realtors, took part in trade shows, and basically looked for areas of traction. Along the way, Chris launched a blog, OutsideTheOven.com. They shared stories about the business, entrepreneurship, family, and giving. By 2017, he compiled many of these stories into a self-published book called Outside the Oven, Observations on Life and Business from an Entrepreneur and Philosophical Baker. They have found that traction, and I'll let Chris fill you in on what has worked, what might not have worked, and how the stories of the business have made a big difference for him. Hey, Chris Duke, my friend, welcome to the Big Messaging Show. Oh, Jim, thank you so much for having me. After having listened to some of your previous shows and looked at your guest list, I'm humbled and honored to be with you today. So thank you very much. Uh, The pleasure is mine and ours. Let's get into some of the major transitions along the way. Certainly starting the business in the first place was a big move on your part, but you also changed the business model once you got into it. So you were moving from selling wholesale desserts to restaurants and then moving to selling cookies direct. Could you talk a little bit about what prompted the change? Well, that was how we started the business. That was the birth of the idea. And as we were building that on the side, we built up a pretty good customer base and we thought we had a pretty good business model. We seemed to have a lot of repeat business. And when we reached that point that you mentioned in 2003, where we decided, hey, we're going to make this a full-time venture, we felt like we had enough in the pipeline to do that. And so we went ahead and went forth and doing the business full-time. One of the things that we realized as we went along, as we were growing the business and trying to expand our markets, is that we've reached that point where we basically maxed out our capacity we grew to the point where we had enough customers that we were making enough product that we really just couldn't make anymore given the facilities and the equipment that we had. And yet it still wasn't enough. We still needed more. We reached that point and it's kind of like you're at the crossroads, right? You're at the, do I go one way or do I go another? In order to continue to grow and to expand the business, we knew that we would have to get more equipment, open up a larger factory and go down that path. And as we looked at that path and thought about it, we started to experiment with some other things. What if we could do this? What if we could take the same equipment that we have and do the cookies and the gifts, which had a lot of appeal to me. My wife, Debbie, is very good at creating you know, boxes and bows with ribbons and things like that. And so we started down that path. And what we found was we were able to slowly carve out little niches and markets where we could provide a service that people wanted and do more of that with the same equipment. And we chose eventually to steer the business down that path as opposed to growing the wholesale side of the business. So Chris, you made that change in thinking about not only the capacity, but just the nature of what you wanted to do. Did you get good early returns from that? What did you find when you switched gears a bit? Well, one of the things that we tried to do that I tried to do when I started the business, and it's one of those bits of advice that I always share with other entrepreneurs when I get to talk to somebody, is that 
I think it's important to try and give yourself as much runway as you possibly can. Starting a business is not easy. If it were, everyone would do it. And one of the things that's helpful is to try and, to the best of your ability, give yourself as many options as you can. What we did was we kept the wholesale side of the business. We kept those customers and we kept producing those products. But as we found other markets for the cookies and we began to develop that business, as opposed to expanding any of the wholesale dessert business, we just took that capacity and applied it to the cookie business and just let things kind of naturally evolve so that as some of our wholesale customers dropped off or moved on, you know, restaurants come and go, we would just take that capacity and move it over to the cookie side as we continued to look for new ways to reach customers in that business. By doing that, we kind of gave ourselves some runway and it wasn't so much of a shock to just simply drop one thing and move to the other. Well, that's a good point. So you didn't flip some giant switch on the wall, but uh, gave a, a chance to see how it could develop. No, no, we didn't. We tested the water. You know, in business, it's nice to think that you can get it right the first time out of the gate. But the reality is for anyone who's ever had a business knows that that really is a pretty rare thing. Business is about a series of failures and things that don't work. And then you learn from that and move on to something that does work. Now, Chris, your cookies are quite good. I've had them and I I enjoy them and I've given them to other people as well. But if I take a dispassionate, objective consumer view, it's typically easier and can be less expensive if I just want to get cookies. I can buy them somewhere else and through lots of different channels and lots of different options. And there are certainly a lot of smaller businesses and entrepreneurs and service providers who are in a very uh, crowded, it could be commoditized sort of field. So when you looked at this, having a lot of business experience, what was it that you felt like could set a business like yours apart and things that perhaps other entrepreneurs or small business owners and other industries could take from it as well? Well, Jim, I think one of the things that's helpful to look at from a business perspective is to start by thinking about, I'm going to call it the type of business that you're in from a customer perspective. And I'm just going to break that into two types. I'm sure there are more. And that is a transactional business or relational business. And there are both kinds and there's value in both of them. Transactional business. If I think about that, let's think about what Amazon did with Amazon Web Services. Certainly, Amazon is one of the best companies in the world at processing transactions. They're very good at that. With Amazon Web Services, what they've done is basically transactionalized the access to information technology. They've broken that down so that virtually anyone, and in many cases for free, can have access to incredible technology resources. And so they're very good at that. That's a transactional business. What I viewed Anna's Gourmet Goodies, when I look at the market that we were looking for there, is to develop more of a relational business. And by doing that, to find that subset of customers that we can build a relationship with and set ourselves apart from the crowd. As you know, I've talked about this before. One of the folks that I follow that I get a lot of advice from in his newsletter and his talks is Seth Godin. 
And he talks about the smallest addressable market. And I think what I've seen sometimes when folks look at a potential market and they have a business idea or something like that, it's very easy to, and I've done this, so so I understand, it's very easy to look at a population and say, oh, there's 10 million people here. If I only get 1% of those, then gosh, I'll be real successful. Well, that can sometimes lead you down the wrong path. And I think it's better to focus on what small little segment of a market, even though there's a lot of commodities out there, can I address and provide services that they will find of value? So on that relational part and finding that niche, that core of people who will be willing to try you, willing to share that over time, you got into uh, blogging and storytelling a while back as part of the business. It seems pretty natural. What led you in that direction, Chris? And what have you been learning along the way of weaving that whole storytelling strategy, if you will, into the business? Well, one of the things that, at least for me personally, when I think about what it is that I remember about whether it's a person I meet or business or anything along those lines, there's really two sort of extremes. One is on the statistical side, if somebody tells me or I read about or some statistic that's just one thing and it really stands out, that's memorable. Uh, Somebody says 67% of the employees in America are unhappy in their jobs. I remember that kind of thing. The other thing I remember is when I hear a story from an entrepreneur or a business owner or somebody like that, they tell me something that is personal and it moves me and I make a connection with. I find everything else in between can often be noise. So I thought about that and I thought about the idea of building relationships with clients And at some point, I looked at the messages that we were sending out and we were, I was doing a newsletter and in that newsletter, it would be, okay, this is the product we have and we're having this special and we're doing all that. And when I sat back and looked at it, it just really didn't, it looked like I was just making noise in the rest of the market. And that's really when I shifted into telling stories and sharing things about our business and things that we do. In most cases, it's kind of related, but in some cases I would share stories of people that I knew who were doing things that I thought were very special just to help our customers understand these are the kinds of things that together with a really good cookie recipe make up our business. And what I found was that I would get some responses when I would tell these stories. One of them in particular, I had written a story about the Postal Service, and it was entitled, you know, Sometimes a Delivery Failure is Great Service. It was a story where we had a customer that we shipped a product for. They sent us a list of their clients, and we shipped out a bunch of gifts for them. Well, as it turns out, one of the recipients who was going to get our box of cookies, it was addressed to him and his wife. And as it turns out, his wife had passed and they forgot to update their list. So the customer called us and we unfortunately had already shipped out the product. It was only like that next day or something. She said, wow, is there anything at all you could do? So I got on the phone and I called the post office where the box was coming. And this is like during the holidays. So this is like the Super Bowl for these guys. 
And I actually spoke with a postmaster and in some way he was able to intercept that package and stop delivery of that package that would have went to somebody's home addressed to a man and his wife who had passed away. I just thought it was an incredible thing to do for this customer. Well, when I told that story, a guy that I worked for many, many years ago, who's been on my mailing list for a long time, sent me a note back and he said, Chris, I just want you to know how much that meant to me to hear that. My wife died from ALS and I can't tell you how many times that I wish I didn't get a package addressed to me and my wife. It's hard to put a value on that type of connection with a reader or with a customer. And I guess that's just one example where the power of a story, when you share that, sometimes you just don't know the impact that that's going to have on somebody. That's really powerful, Chris. And kudos all the way back to that postmaster who talked about trying to find a needle in a haystack for something that was such an emotionally charged situation. I think you bring out something that's a very important point because there certainly has been a lot of talk in recent years about, in general, the power of storytelling, how it connects to the way that our brains work, the primal parts of our brains. I've certainly spoken about that a lot, how stories are more memorable for us if you're trying to share them as well as certainly memorable for the receiver of the story. Your story typically isn't about you. So it's not about the products. It's not, and sometimes that's fine. Sometimes you do have to toot your own horn just a little bit, everyone. But the main theme there is about a feeling, a connection, something that is comforting and valuable to customers. So Chris, I'm curious because you've been a bit of a curator now of stories, of, of kind of creating them and assembling them. So what is it, if anything, that strikes you as you come across stories and you think about your own experiences, what are the things that strike you that make it a really good shareable story? Well, I think one of the things that I always try and do when I'm putting together a blog post or a story is I really do try and focus on those things that are important to myself and my wife and our company, things that move us that are important to who we are and how we operate and how we conduct business. As you may know, one of my favorite business leaders that I follow and listen to is Simon Sinek. In his, I think it's one of the top viewed TED Talks of all time, he says that the goal is not to sell to people who will buy what you have. The goal is to sell to people who believe what you believe. And I think that's a very it absolutely changed the way that I look at business and how I operate and how I look at life. I think one of the stories that I wrote, I think it was last year, was about a company called Wake Enterprises. And Wake Enterprises is in Raleigh, and they are an organization that provides an environment for individuals with varying degrees of developmental disabilities to come during the day and to work on projects of all different kinds. Wake Enterprises does a lot of repetitive assembly work. They put together boxes. They do some food packaging types of things. And I met Henry, one of the folks that works there, 
a number of years ago and I just really liked him. He was a great guy and we stayed in touch and I had the opportunity to outsource some of the work to Wake Enterprises. And then I heard Henry speak at a conference where he was talking about putting boxes together. And I thought, wow, we're growing pretty fast. And during the holidays, it's really hard for us to do that. And so I went to Henry and we talked about it and I took some of our work over there that we needed done. And he gave me a quote and I said, well, this is it, man. You guys can take care of this for us and absolutely take this load off of our company. And they did that. And and as a part of that, I felt like here I have the opportunity to tell the story about an organization that I just felt like was doing some great things. And it also related to our business. And my hope in telling that story is that not so that somebody would hear that and go, oh, that's such a nice thing you're doing. My hope in telling that story is that somebody might look at that and say, hmm, that's a really good idea. Maybe there's something that I could do similar and inspire them to take action wherever they are, because it it is an incredible experience when you're able to find something like we found with Wake Enterprises where we didn't hire them just to make ourselves feel good. We hired them because they did outstanding work and it was very high quality and we paid a going rate for whatever it was and we got to do some good all at once. To me, that's like hitting it out of the park. And what I wanted to do by sharing those kind of stories is to maybe inspire somebody else to think that way and to have that experience, because it's truly amazing when it happens. That's a great overlap from a real practical operational decision, partnership that you have in the business, along with that underlying story of how you can help a cause and some people as well. And Chris, I was thinking you had another storyline around where a key ingredient that you use, vanilla, became very scarce and expensive here real lately. And you have, in terms of what you do, I know some very strict guidelines in terms of how you source ingredients and the quality that you need, the characteristics of what you need. That could not have been a very good position to be in. And yet that also became a story in and of itself. I'm hoping you can walk us through what, from an operational standpoint, you were dealing with, and then the story of how you went about solving for that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting story behind the vanilla. I think for most folks, you're probably familiar, Jim. I'm sure if you went to your cabinet and your kitchen, you'd look up there and there'd probably be a little bottle of vanilla that perhaps you've used or your family's used when making something. I mean, it's one of those things that's in almost every kitchen. In our business, when we're you know making the quantities of cookies we do, we have to buy, obviously, a little bit larger <laughs> quantities than the little bottles. And when we first started buying vanilla, we found a supplier that supplied a very high quality product. And we started buying from, I don't remember exactly the exact price. I think it was probably 70 or $80 for a gallon of vanilla when we first started buying with this supplier. Well, over the years, the price, as, as is often the case, kind of creeps up a little bit. But because of some shortages, most of the vanilla supply in the world comes from Madagascar. And because of some shortages in the country, the price started to go up even more. And we thought, wow, man, when it hit like 250 bucks a gallon, that was a lot. And then they had a disaster where they had a lot of the natural disaster where a lot of the crop was wiped out. 
And then all of a sudden we went from the 70 to 90 to over $500 for a gallon of this product. I share that with people and it's like, really? It's one thing to have a little bit of price increase, but boy, when you go to that, it's pretty eye popping. But we were faced with this dilemma. It's like, okay, it's not quantity wise. It's not by any stretch, the largest measure of an ingredient that goes in our product. But from a quality perspective, I just could not make the leap to say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice the quality or taste of my product just to make some kind of change. To give you a perspective, I think at the supply store I looked at, I could have bought a gallon of imitation for like five or $10. So one of the things that I think, and I've talked with entrepreneurs who start businesses, particularly in the food business, where you have the potential for pretty wide variations in your product and your cost, you certainly want to try and control that to the extent you can, but you have to build in enough margin that allows you to survive the ebbs and flows that inevitably happen in business. There are some businesses that I understand operate on razor thin margins, and that's just the way it is, and they have to. But to the extent possible, I find that it's always better to have enough margin in there that allows you to deal with the ebbs and flows and to absorb some of that without compromising the product or what it is you're making. Because ultimately, in the long run, that is not a recipe for success. As it turns out, one of the other things that I started to do was the product that we were getting is good. But what I noticed was that the supplier sort of had a change in leadership and they started doing things a little bit differently. And while the product was still good, they were making it difficult for me as a business owner to continue to get the product that I needed. So what I did was I started looking at other options and I was very diligent about understanding not just the quality of the product, because that's important right? But how the company operates and how they treat their customers and how they treat their suppliers. And that was what led me to Cook's Vanilla, where I had a couple phone calls and it was so amazing. I call and I ended up talking with one of the owners of the company and it was fabulous. And what I found very interesting about my conversation was that when I called and spoke with her, it wasn't about, oh, well, we have the best product and here's why and blah, blah, blah. She basically told me the whole story of vanilla and she explained why that there was the shortage and what was going on and how they treated the vanilla growers and what they were doing. It was really like the backstory of the business. And it was just so amazing because I thought, wow, here's somebody who is selling a product and certainly has what we needed, but they were really more interested in telling me the story behind the business and how they operate. And I guess when I go back and look at it after we made the decision, we ended up becoming a customer of Cook's Vanilla, not just because they have a great product, but because we believe what they believe. And I think that's just another example where I'm sort of practicing what I'm preach. And isn't that interesting how it connects, how you use story for Anna's Gourmet Goodies, but in this case, you're the customer, but understanding the story, the rationale, the why behind Cook's Vanilla from the other side of all that. It was a great experience all around and it's worked out pretty well for us. We're certainly happy with the product and the service that we've gotten from them. And it just feels good when you're doing business with companies like that. 
Chris, I had another question really around the habit or the practices that you go through in terms of recognizing these stories, of recording them, of playing around with them a little bit. And I just, I know that I deal with a lot of people who are in business and they do have a lot of things that they know. They have a lot of stories that they can share, but they'll tell me, oh gosh, Jim, I just don't know what we could talk about, right? You know, our business, yeah, you know, our business is fine, but they don't either recognize those things in the moment and maybe don't write them down. I'm pretty bad about that. Sometimes I'll have an idea and, you know, sometimes I'll try to use the notes app on my phone or try to keep a journal with me so I can scribble some things down and remind myself to come back to them. That's pretty inefficient process, but do you have any practices or guidelines for other people in business about how they can begin to think more deeply about these stories, remember them, remember the details, and be able to convey those to other people? Well, I got to tell you, Jim, I share your struggle with that. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a difficult thing. One of the things I find particularly difficult is that it's sort of a balance between wanting to be in the moment, right, and be totally present with remembering, oh, Maybe I should capture this or take some notes and talk about this later. It is something that I definitely struggle with myself. One of the things that I do when I'm thinking about either telling a story or just talking about somebody else is I do try and think in terms of, is this an experience that somebody else might feel is interesting? Or is this something that if I told somebody else, they might think it's interesting? And it might not be everybody in the world, but it might be just a few people. A few weeks ago, we celebrated, uh, hopefully you remembered Valentine's Day for your family. For me, I have not only Valentine's Day, but it's my wedding anniversary as well. And so that was a day that we tried to do something a little bit special. And I had met a company. I went to a little reception at night a few weeks ago, and it was a company that talks about doing good at work. So that's actually the name of the organization. And they help companies develop their employees by doing things that go beyond just the traditional HR things. And they handed out some awards and they handed out this award to this company called Carol's Kitchen in Raleigh. And Carol's Kitchen has two locations and they have ladies who they employ who have been through some type of crisis, whether it's an abuse situation or some of them are coming out of the prison system. And what they did was they formed this company. It's a restaurant and catering organization to help these women get a job and develop skills and reenter the workforce and society. And I just thought, man, this is a great story. And for Valentine's Day, we decided to make up some cookies and put a little label on there. And we took them down and we gave them to all the ladies as Valentine's Day gifts when my wife went down there and had lunch. I will tell you that this is a story that's not yet been written, but it's definitely one that I'm thinking about. Again, not just to promote, hey, I took some cookies down there, but to share something. Here's another example of a company that if you go have lunch there, I, I got to say the food was some of the best I have ever had. I mean, it was absolutely outstanding. But I would go back, not just because the food is good, but because of their why. And so anyway, that's what's percolating right now. I'm trying to figure out how to put that down and tell maybe a bigger story. So message managers, whether it be for me, for a great storyteller like Chris Duke, we won't be perfect. 
<laughs> we sometimes fumble, as we say, stories are uh, still being written and hopefully will get written at some point. But maybe just starting with one or two will help you start to develop, work those muscles a little bit and identifying it and being able to share some really compelling stories like those. Um, I think if there's one thing, one last sort of takeaway I would say that's been helpful for me is to really start with your heart, man. Tell what's on your heart. I mean, make it authentic and genuine and something you care about. And that will oftentimes come through. Great advice, Chris. And you have, even in our conversation today, and I know in the larger sphere of your book and your blog, you follow and you quote notable business marketing icons. Already today, you mentioned uh, Simon Sinek and Seth Godin, both of whom terrific. Do you have a set of role models, either past or present, that you find to be particularly compelling and that you'd like to share with this group? Jim, actually, the folks that we've talked about, Seth and Simon Sinek, certainly are two of the ones that are top of mind of late. When I think about folks that I read and I follow, there are a host of other folks that I have picked up little tidbits, little nuggets along the way. Chris Brogan is an author, prolific author, and Chris reviewed my website on his live show one time. And I'll never forget, it was, I got on there and, and I thought, wow, man, this is really cool. Chris is going to say, this looks great. And he absolutely destroyed my <laughs> website and told me that it was absolutely terrible, but it was exactly what I needed. And I went back and I redid it and then sent him a message later. And we've since become email friends and, but it was a great experience. I've had a lot of folks come in and out of my life, both in business and in personal life, who've been mentors and who've shared little nuggets with me along the way. I've been very fortunate to have met some outstanding folks. I don't know if I have one you know, mega icon that I would say as a role model, but I do like to think that, and I actually wrote a story about this going back to my very early days in high school. One of the experiences I had that I think was pretty formative for me in terms of business was my experience with junior achievement. It was a pretty big thing in my high school, and I was very involved in that for several years. And it was just a great program. It's basically a high school program that teaches you about business. And we actually ran small businesses as a part of that program. As I got more and more involved in junior achievement, I, I rose up through the organization and had the opportunity. I was asked to be the master of ceremonies for their annual banquet, which was at the big arena. And one of the guests at the banquet was Colonel Harlan Sanders. And he was a big supporter of junior achievement. And at this particular banquet, I was to introduce him and he was to donate some money to junior achievement. And I'll never forget, it's probably 77 or 78. It was a large thing. And I introduced the colonel and he handed me a check that he was made out to junior achievement. It was out of his personal checking account. So it was just a little wallet check, but it was from Colonel Sanders and it was $50,000. Wow. And you know, that's, that's a pretty good hunk of change right now, but man, back in, you know, 77 or 78, it, it was a lot. And I got a chance later on because he was such a junior achievement supporter, I actually had a chance to do a, a little TV commercial with him for junior achievement. And well, I can't say I got to know the Colonel personally and really well, and he would know me and we were friends at all. 
I was always struck by the fact that here's a guy who at an age when most of us are riding off into the sunset or trying to figure out how to retire, he more or less lost everything. And with the Sanders Cafe sort of going downhill and took everything that he owned and put in the back of a station wagon and started driving around trying to figure out a way to teach restaurants how to fry chicken and turned what was his idea at the time into probably, which has to be one of the top 10 recognizable brands in the world. That made an impression on me. And so I always think about him. I've made the journey a couple of times to the original Sanders Cafe restaurant in Corbin, Kentucky. And uh, for me, it's such a special thing. And we went there not too long ago with my family and I wrote a story about it and talked about some of the things in that. But One of the things that I love is on the wall of the restaurant, there's a copy of the Colonel's Creed, and it's called The Hard Way. And if you don't mind, I would like to share that. Please do. Because I think it sort of sums up a lot of the things that I think about when I think of business. And I can, having at least met the Colonel briefly, I can think back and look at this and imagine him saying this. It's called The Hard Way. It is comparatively easy to prosper by trickery, the violation of confidence of the weak, sharp practices, cutting corners, all of those methods that are so prone to palliate and condone as business shrewdness. It is difficult to prosper by the keeping of promises, the deliverance of value in goods, in service, and in deeds, and in the meeting of so called shrewdness with sound merit and good ethics. The easy way is efficacious and speedy, the hard way, arduous and long. But as the clock ticks, the easy way becomes harder and the hard way becomes easier. And as the calendar records the years, it becomes increasingly evident that the easy way rests hazardly upon shifting sands whereas the hard way builds solidly a foundation of confidence that cannot be swept away. That is tremendous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Chris, that is, uh, that's wonderful. And just your reference to those words of wisdom, to the stories and the things that continue to develop, I know that our message manager listeners are going to want to follow you learn more about what you're doing, and uh, maybe try out some of those wonderful goodies. How can we be in touch with you? You can certainly reach out and check us out on our website, annasgourmetgoodies.com. You'll find all the products that we make and a little bit about our company there. You can also read about Outside the Oven. If you'd like to go there, outsidetheoven.com and check out my blog and If you're one of those folks who likes to go old school and get a paper copy, you can certainly hop on Amazon.com and search for Outside the Oven and Chris Duke and find a copy there as well. We will put links in our show description and our notes. Chris Duke, my friend, this has been a real treat in both the uh, (laughs) the literal and the figurative sense. Really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story and these stories with all of us. It's my pleasure, Jim. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Message Managers, for joining the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode, so 
be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't done so already, please take a brief moment to rate and review us on your way out. Five stars are the ones that matter. That makes it easy for other professionals to find us and join the fun. If you find these conversations useful in your business, then I can recommend another free weekly resource. The Message Manager Memo is a brief weekly email with practical tips and examples. You'll actually enjoy seeing it in your inbox. It only takes about 10 seconds or less to sign up on my website, jimcarr.com. That's K-A-R-R-H. I would be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jim Carr. And let's talk directly. Keep the comments and questions coming. You might have suggestions for the podcast or want to bounce a messaging idea. Perhaps your organization needs to sharpen its message and equip more people with the tools and confidence to share it widely and consistently. Perhaps you know of an association or company that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My mobile number is also on the website. I try to keep it simple. Three steps, no pressure. You and I have a phone or Zoom conversation for a few minutes. We assess what it is you're trying to accomplish and whether I can help. And if so, then we begin to put together a plan. As always, I appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your world know about what it is you do and the value you offer. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.